Well, it's very kind of you guys this morning. I don't really know what to say after that, so I'm just going to tell you to turn to John 13, because that's what I know how to do. So, sometimes it's easiest to just get back to work. So, turn to John 13. We're going to look at an amazing story in Jesus' life this morning, John 13. So, most of what we've done this morning is singing songs. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but singing songs is actually an inherently dangerous thing. It's dangerous because by the nature of how music works, it's really easy to sing something without ever thinking about the words you are saying. And that's, that's how we design music. It's with rhyme and rhythm. The words just flow out of your mouth without thinking so that a song can lead you somewhere that you didn't necessarily want to go. This, this actually happens to Julie a lot because she's much more musical than me. She listens to music all the time. And so every once in a while, I'll catch her. We'll be in the minivan together and a, a song will come on and she'll be singing to it. And, and I'm not real musical, so I don't know the song, but I'll hear the words that she's singing. And I, I'll think, do, do, do you know what you just said? And she doesn't because the song is so catchy. It just leads us along. The words just flow. Well, that happens not just on the radio. That actually happens in church all the time. It's, it's funny for me as a pastor to, to sit here and, and all of us are singing. And I'm thinking about, I wonder if everyone here is thinking about what they just said. So, in case you were wondering, the song that you just sang is called More Like Jesus, and one of the main lines in it that you said over and over and over again is, Father, I pray, make me more like Jesus. And that's a beautiful line. That's a really easy line to sing. It's, it's pleasant words to say. It flows off the tongue. And, and all of us like that idea. I mean, who here doesn't want to be more like Jesus? Of course, that's what we want most in life. But I'm curious if when you sang that line, you remembered the lines that came before it, where God told us in the song what Jesus is like, and therefore what we're actually asking God to make us like. So in case you don't remember them, here's a couple of lines that came before. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings came to serve, washing my feet, covering me with your love. So I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and I had dreams for my life, what it would be one day when I grew up, my fantasy did not include this. Like, I wasn't going to bed at night praying, God, please, when I grow up, give me absolutely no status. Make me unpopular just like Jesus. I wasn't praying, God, I want to serve others. Please don't let people serve me. Instead, make me serve people by doing foot washing, the most humiliating task possible in the first century. Let me do that, God, for no pay. None of us dreamed those kind of dreams when we were growing up. We didn't want that. We wanted to be wealthy and successful and popular. We wanted people to serve us, people to look up to us. And so it is ironic to me that so many of us, me included, I'm right there, can sing that line, Father, I pray, make me more like Jesus without ever reckoning what it would cost us if God actually gave us what we're asking for. Have you ever thought about how hard and painful your life would be if God the Father actually made you like Jesus? 
So our passage this morning is going to confront us with that. What is it like to be more like Jesus? John 13. Look with me, John 13, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the whole passage, verses 1 through 17, as we look at the example of Jesus, our servant. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, And laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. But Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, before we get into the bulk of this passage, I want us to spend a couple minutes talking about the odd exchange between Jesus and Peter right in the middle of our passage. Peter objects to Jesus washing his feet, and I'll explain why in a little bit. But it's pretty obvious that starting in verse 8, Jesus goes beyond foot washing. It's pretty clear here. There's something more than just washing feet going on here between Jesus and Peter. There's something deeper, more meaningful. There's a spiritual reality at work in what, Peter, in what Jesus says to Peter. And so as we think about what's going on at this point, it's important to realize Jesus has not yet died on the cross or risen from the dead. So the disciples do not yet know our gospel. That's coming in like less than 24 hours. Jesus will die. They don't know it yet though. And so at this point, Jesus is just starting to hint at the beautiful reality that's going to come when salvation is made possible to all through Jesus' death on the cross. He's just beginning to clue them in. And in particular, in verse 8, what he is beginning to help Peter understand is that cleansing from sin, forgiveness from all sins, past, present, and future, so you can be acceptable to God, that is something you must receive from Jesus himself. Cleansing from your sin is not something you can earn. 
It's not something you can work for. It's not something you can do to yourself. It's something you have to receive from Jesus. Jesus is the one who will cleanse you from sin. And then in verse 10, Jesus helps Peter understand. Once you have received that complete cleansing from sin, you never need it again. Peter, you never need to bathe again. That's not literal. Peter would have had to bathe again or he would have really stunk. It's spiritual. Peter, once I wash you, you never need that again. That's salvation. Once you receive salvation, you never need it again. And so you know more than Peter did. You know that 24 hours later, Jesus, the son of God, hung on the cross and died in your place. He took all of your sins upon himself. And he died as your substitute, paying the price of your sins. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all. And now he offers to you, as an absolutely free gift, forgiveness and eternal life. And all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want that. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so I could have that for free. The moment you receive that, you are bathed. You are cleaned of sin. So then why does Jesus say Peter still needs to wash his feet? What's going on there? Well, that's actually exactly what I preached on a couple weeks ago. I preached on Psalm 32. It's online if you missed it. Psalm 32 helped us understand that once we come into the family of God through faith in Jesus, we become children of God, we have eternal life, and we can never lose that, well, we're still going to struggle with sin, And when we as believers choose to sin, that doesn't remove us from the family of God. That doesn't forfeit eternal life. Instead, what it does is it creates a a barrier between us and God's presence. We don't get to enjoy fellowship with him. We don't get to enjoy his blessings in our lives. It's exactly like when my kids, Luke and Gracie, disobey me. They will always be my children. Always. Nothing can ever change that. I will always love them no matter what. But when they disobey, it gets kind of uncomfortable around our house. There's strife and there's strain and we're not going outside and playing together because they're in disobedience. So what do they need to do? Well, all they have to do is say, Daddy, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And boom, it's done. They, they've confessed. I welcome them back. They're restored to fellowship. We're outside playing together again. That's exactly how it works in the Christian life. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have already received complete forgiveness. You are already a child of God and nothing can ever change that. But when you choose to disobey your heavenly father, it's going to make things kind of uncomfortable. You're going to feel distance from him. You're going to feel separation from his presence and his blessing and his joy and his peace. But all you have to do is simply say, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he welcomes you back with open arms. That's what we talked about from 1 John 1.9. This is a verse written to believers. This is about people who are already children of God. When we struggle with sin on a daily basis, this is all we have to do. If we confess our sins, just agree with God, I did wrong, please forgive me. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is washing our feet so that we can be back in the Father's presence enjoying his blessings in our lives. So I just want to make absolutely sure that we're clear on this because it's so often missed by people. Salvation is an absolutely free gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You simply receive it. 
Jesus earned it for you. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead so you could have forgiveness and eternal life for free. All you have to do is receive it. So people wonder, well, how do I know if I've received that gift? The easiest way I know to figure that out, this is, this is how I put it to people all the time. You simply ask yourself this question. If you stood before God today and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If your answer is, because I'm a good person, you haven't received the gift yet. You're still trying to work for it. You're still trying to earn your way into God's heaven. You're still trying to earn your way into God's love. You're not there yet. What is the right answer to the question? Well, the right answer to the question is because Jesus, your son, died for my sins and rose from the dead. He did it all. I just received it. It's not about what I did. It's about what he did. If that's new to you, if you're still trying to wrap your mind around that, please come talk to one of us here this morning. This is crucial. We want you to see how free it is to enter into the family of God. You don't work for it. You don't obey John 13. John 13 is not the way into heaven. It's a free gift that Jesus earned for you. So come talk to one of us if that's not clear yet. If you have received that free gift and you're now in the family of God, you're a child of God, then when you struggle with sin, which we all do, all you have to do is confess it. And God will knock down that that barrier of distance that was between you and him and welcome you back into his fellowship and blessing. Okay? So, now that we're clear on that little spiritual aside going on between Peter and Jesus in this account, now we can look at kind of the center of this account, at what's going on here. The passage, the rest of it, is really meant for believers. It assumes that you've already trusted in Jesus, you've already received salvation from him. And so now that you are a believer, now that you are in the family of God, you just sang the song, Father, make me more like Jesus, so the rest of the passage shows you what that means. This is what it looks like to be more like Jesus. So, to understand what's going on, we have to talk a little bit about foot washing. I need to give you some background. So, I have seen many pastors teach this passage, and in the course of of preaching this passage, they'll have someone come up and they'll literally wash their feet, like have their wife come up or somebody in the church, and they'll wash their feet right there on the stage. And that's a sweet thing. That's a beautiful thing. But it's not actually what's going on here. Why? Well, because your feet aren't that dirty. I mean, think about it. You probably washed your feet like last night or this morning. And then most of you, you wrapped them in socks and you put shoes on them so they're like hermetically sealed in there. And and even if you wore sandals, well, still, you rode to church in an air-conditioned car. And then you walked through our relatively clean parking lot into an air-conditioned, carpet-filled building. I mean, your feet are like getting coddled in here. That wasn't what it was like in the first century. That's not John 13. In the first century, everyone's feet were filthy almost all of the time. They did not have socks and shoes. They had sandals, so it's always open-toed. And when they wanted to get somewhere, they had to walk there in the sun, in the heat. And they walked on roads that were not paved. They were dirt roads. They're covered in, in sand and dirt. And they lived in a world without sanitation. And so all the trash and all the human and animal waste went in the street. Like that's where it went. And so as you walked from place A to place B, you walked around and through trash and filth and human waste. And then you got to your place and you washed your feet. 
Okay, so your feet were filthy by the end of the day. They hadn't washed them yet. So they're covered in all of this awful stuff. And so the key for us to realize is that in the first century, for a person to wash someone else's feet was gross and humiliating. It wasn't cute. It wasn't sweet. It wasn't beautiful. It was humiliating, disgusting work. It was not work for a king like Jesus. It was work for a slave. And interestingly, Jews were not even allowed to have other Jewish slaves wash their feet. Because those were their countrymen. It was too humiliating of a task. You could only have a foreign slave wash your feet. And so that is why Peter is so blown away by Jesus getting down on his knees and washing feet. That's why he refuses. Absolutely not. Jesus, you're the king. This task is below you. It's not fit for you. In fact, you may have noticed, Peter thought that not only was Jesus too good to do this, he thought he was too good to do this. Because you may have recognized, dinner's already been served. Somebody should have already washed their feet, but no one did. Because it's just Jesus and the disciples, and the disciples are thinking, well, gosh, where's the slave who's going to come do this? There, there isn't one up here. Well, I, I can't do this. This is, this is too humiliating. This is, this is too low. So not even Peter would stoop down to wash Jesus' feet. And yet Jesus, without hesitation, without flinching, He takes off his nice clothes and he puts on a towel and he takes the position of the lowliest of slaves. And he does this disgusting, humiliating service for his disciples. And why? Well, it told you right at the beginning in verse 1, he did it out of love. This is what love looks like. Love isn't just saying to someone, I love you. Love is shown in actions of humiliating, selfless service. Jesus loved his disciples to the full extent. There was nothing he wouldn't do for them. That's proven by the fact that he's about to die for them. So he was willing to get down on his knees and serve them. That is what love looks like. Jesus is trying to show you. If you say that you love, this is what it looks like. So love isn't when when the beautiful bride and handsome groom say their vows to one another on their wedding day. That's not... Jesus' picture of love. Love is what happens 50 years later. When one of them is, is sick or ill or has dementia and the other one bathes them and cleans up after them and feeds them, that's what love looks like. Right? Love is demonstrated in selfless service. Now what's truly remarkable, one of the thing, amazing thing that you may have missed in this account, who is still at the table? Judas hasn't left yet. And so Jesus washes Judas's feet. And it's clear in the account. It says Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He already knew that Judas has been inspired by Satan to betray him. He already knows that Judas hates him. He already knows that that Judas has made a deal to sell him out. Judas is going to be the way that Jesus dies. The most painful death available in the ancient world. Jesus knows all that's coming. And yet still, he gets down on his knees and he washes Judas' filthy feet. Because that's love. That's what love looks like. Jesus loved the human race to such an absolute extent That he was willing to take the lowest position, the most humiliating position, and serve out of love. 
Now, that's a nice story about Jesus. What's the point for you and me? Well, verse 15 is the point. Look again at verse 15. Jesus says, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. In other words, this is what it looks like to be made more like Jesus. If, if you want God the Father to make you more like the Son, then this is it. This kind of sacrificial service. This isn't just a beautiful story, though it is. It's an example for us to follow. We're to love others to this same sacrificial extent. The same selfless extent. If we're going to be like Jesus, we have to be servants like Jesus. That's actually something that Jesus talked about in many passages. This is only one of them. I'll put one other up here. Very famous one. Mark 10. Whoever wishes, this is Jesus speaking, to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If if Jesus himself, our King, our Lord, if he chose the path of the servant, how much more we should choose to serve one another. Now, it's always helpful to clarify. That doesn't mean you should feel guilty when someone serves you. Sometimes I've seen people read this and they feel bad. Oh, but I I have somebody mow my lawn. I I have someone watch my kids. Should I feel guilty for that? No, not at all. That's not the point of this. The point of this passage, though, is that you should look at your life and ask yourself honestly, do I spend a significant part of my life in John 13 kind of selfless service to others? If not, if you look at your life and you say, well, I'm just too busy or I'm just too important to serve others like that, that's not okay. Because Jesus is like literally the king of the universe and he wasn't too busy or too important to get on his knees and serve. So none of us are either. All of us, without exception, should have significant parts of our life where we are selflessly serving others. Not for payback, not for fame, but simply out of love. That, that's, that's not just a good suggestion for Christians who have room in their schedules. That is for all of us without exception. All of us are called to, to live out foot-washing kind of selfless love. But, We live in a world where we don't really need to wash people's feet because we do that okay ourselves. So what would this look like in today's world? I'm just going to give you a few examples that came to mind. We could spend the whole morning listing examples. But here are some practical ways that I see people in our community and our family practicing foot washing kind of love. So there's a big chunk of people doing it right now back there. In the children's ministry, especially the young kids' ministry, there are a bunch of people who are changing diapers and cleaning up nasty messes for kids that don't belong to them. I mean, it's hard enough when it's your kid, but they're doing it for kids that don't belong to them, and they're, they're not getting paid for that. They're not getting fame for that. I mean, I think we give them a t-shirt, but that's like all, why are they doing it out of love? Love for those kids, but also love for you, for you parents, So that you can be here worshiping and learning from God's word without distraction. That's John 13 kind of love. Changing the diaper of somebody else's kid without pay. Another example. Folks at the back. 
in the sound booth. And the musicians up here on stage on Sunday morning, you may not realize they get here hours early on a Sunday morning. And, and they put forth a lot of effort, a lot of volunteer time, and we don't pay them for that. And, and I don't think any of them become famous for that. They do it out of love. Because they want to bless you with their talents so that you can participate in worship. Another example, there's a, a guy here in our church who is very handy around appliances. And he heard about a woman in the community who was poor and her water heater was leaking and she did not have the money to hire somebody to fix it. And so he gave up a Sunday afternoon to go over there and fix it. And people don't know that he did that. He wasn't paid for that. That's what love looks like. It's fixing that widow's broken water heater when no one else can. Other examples for you guys. This is the lady in our Life Builders class who she heard, actually from Micah, who was kind of the connection here. She heard that there was a lady in the community who is elderly and poor, and because she's poor, she couldn't afford a car, and she needed to get to the doctor. It was serious. And so this lady in our Life Builders class, she gave up her day. And she drove that woman to the doctor, and then she waited on her. She's in the doctor. How's she going to get home? She waited on her, and then on the way home, the lady needed groceries, so he, she took her to the grocery store. She spent the whole day shuttling this woman around. Not for pay. It actually cost her. I mean, she had to pay gas money and time and wear on her vehicle. She did it out of love. That's what foot washing looks like in today's world. This is one of my friends who's a professional car detailer. He decided he's just going to donate his time for free anytime we're going to give a car away to a single mom with an arm. He comes out. He did one just the other day. If you've ever seen inside a 10-year-old car that has never been cleaned well, it is nasty. And yet he gets down there on his hands and his knees and he scrubs it and we don't pay him for that. He doesn't get famous for that. He does it out of love. That's what foot washing looks like today. And so as you look at your life, the question is, where can you exercise that kind of foot washing love? Now, the really fun thing for me as I put together this message is to realize that there is an incredible amount of that kind of love happening at Southwood. It's been a a part of our DNA from the very beginning. I'm always amazed when a, a person goes through a crisis here at Southwood, how quickly other families jump in to provide meals and mow lawns and babysit kids. That's just part of what so many of you do. You jump in and you serve selflessly. I, I feel truly grateful to be part of a church where people love so well and serve so well. I think we do it so well that it's easy to think, well, that's just what everyone does. No, they don't. Like, that's not normal in this world. To serve selflessly at great cost for no pay. That's not what people do. Because foot washing kind of love is is hard and it is often very unpleasant. And so what is it that, that helps us? It gives us the strength to go out and serve like Jesus in John 13. Well, it takes two things. Two things have to be true of a person if they're going to wash someone else's feet. Literally or metaphorically. They have to have confidence. And they have to have motivation. And you see both of them in this passage. So if a person is going to serve someone like Jesus did. First, they have to be confident in who they are. And what they have in Christ. Look again at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And that he had come forth from God. And was going back to God. Got up from supper. 
It's kind of a weird statement in in verse 3. It's kind of weird grammatically. But the point of that is to say that before he got up, what motivated him to get up is he knew truth. He knew truth about who he was and what he already had. And that truth gave him confidence to sacrifice his rights and privileges and serve. So Jesus, he knew who he was. He knew he was the son of God. He, he knew what, was, what, what he had, that God had already given him all things. He, he knew he was going back to the Father. He knew all of these truths, wonderful truths about himself. And those truths gave him confidence to be able to let go of status. Be able to sacrifice rights and privileges and serve humbly. The amazing thing is that I've seen how often that is true over the last 15 years. It's kind of an ironic thing. I have found that the people who are least likely to humbly serve others are always the most insecure. They won't serve because they're not confident. And and who they are. They can't give up that status because they're still trying to get that status. They care very much what other people think of them. So it's simply unthinkable to sacrifice all of that and serve in obscurity and humility. In contrast, it is almost always the strongest people, the most confident people who are willing to serve. Because they don't care what anybody thinks. They know what God thinks. They know what's true of them already. They know that they are children of God who have a future with God and no one can take that away. And so it's easy for them to sacrifice their status, sacrifice their rights, their privileges, and their comfort to sacrificially serve others. If you've trusted in Jesus, you can have confidence that you are loved by God, you are a child of God who will spend eternity with God, and no one and nothing can ever take that away. You can have confidence in those truths. And because of those truths, you can be willing to say, I'm, I'm going to give up the status. I'm going to give up the rights and the privileges and the comfort. And I'm going to be like Jesus and serve because I know who I am and what I got. If you are confident in what you already have in Jesus, it will give you the strength to sacrificially serve. So people who serve, first of all, they're confident people. They're strong because they know who they are and what they have. Second, they're motivated people. They're motivated by the promise of God's blessing. The assumption of our society is that you are blessed if you are served. That's kind of how our our society thinks about it. So I'm hashtag blessed if someone brings me a nice meal. Take a picture of it. Blessed. I'm, I'm blessed if somebody does something nice for me. They give me a nice massage, a nice vacation. They give me this nice gift. I receive and that equals blessed. Jesus says, no, you got it opposite. You, you actually got it exactly opposite. Look at verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You are blessed if you serve. You are blessed if you give. That is the surprising path to blessing. And so I, I grew up here in this, this little line that my parents would say all the time. It's better to give than to receive. That is not just a cliche. That, that is actually truth. The world would be an immensely better place if everyone would just wise up and realize. That is God's truth. Now it doesn't mean that it's bad to receive. It's a wonderful thing to receive. But you need to recognize The times in your life when you are truly blessed by God, when you are living in his blessing and enjoying his blessing, are not the times when you are on the receiving end of service. 
It's exactly the opposite. It's the times when you follow the example of Jesus in John 13 and get down on your knees and serve. That is the path to blessing. Now, what exactly is this blessing that Jesus is promising us in verse 17? He doesn't clarify here, but he does later. A couple chapters later, he tells us it's a life full of of God's joy and God's peace. If you want God's joy and peace and love in your life, if you want to feel them and experience them, there is only one way. It goes through service. You must serve like Jesus served if you want to be blessed. So, Service, like Jesus served in John 13, it is hard, it is painful, it is costly, but it's worth it. Because that is the path of life that is blessed. That's the way that you find the blessed life. So let's get practical. How are you going to put this into practice? Again, I don't think you're necessarily called to go wash people's feet. But you're called to do something. For many of you, you already are, and I want to celebrate that. For a lot of you in this room, you are already giving up significant time and energy on a weekly basis to serve people who aren't going to pay you back. You are selflessly serving them just like Jesus did. And I don't tell you that so that you feel pride, because it's not from you. It's from God at work in your life. But I do tell you that to to let you know God sees it. And Jesus made a promise. You are living the life that will lead to blessing. For others of you, though, this is a new thing. And you look at your life and you say, you know, I've been really busy. I've been pursuing all my own things. And as a result, it crowded out any time that I had to give to someone else. I'm never on my knees washing feet because I'm just too busy in my day-to-day life. Or maybe I just feel that would be too humiliating. I'm, I'm too busy taking care of myself, building up my reputation, my success. If that's you, then my challenge this morning is, is for you to stop and think. You sang just a little while ago, Father, make me more like Jesus. Did you mean it? If you meant it, it has to go through service. There's no other way. So what are you going to scale back on, trim back in your life, so that you can find a place to serve someone selflessly this week? Might be in your home. Might be your spouse. And, And God is challenging you To step up in some new way of selfless service where you serve your spouse without any thought of payback. Not so that they'll give you something you want later, but simply out of love. Maybe this is this is at work and and there's somebody at work that is really hard to spend time with, really hard, uh, they're demanding person, and you try to avoid them, and God is challenging you, no. You need to put forth the hard work of serving that person because that's what love looks like. Maybe this is a roommate, and you and your roommates are kind of in this battle of chores. It's like, I did one, so you better do one. You did one, so I better do one. And, and what God is challenging you to do right now is to stop keeping that tit-for-tat list, and, and you're simply going to serve. You're going to serve without expectation that they're going to do it next time. You're just going to serve them. Why? Because that's what love looks like. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe think about your neighborhood, and maybe in your neighborhood or in your apartment building, maybe you know of somebody who is sick. Or or maybe they just had a new baby and they're overwhelmed. Maybe they're elderly. Maybe they're a widow. It's spring. They need help in the yard. Could you go over and help them in some practical way? Or maybe you could provide a meal for them. Maybe you could go over and just watch their kids. Not so they'll watch your kids next week, but just out of love. That's what love looks like. It humbly, sacrificially serves. I don't know what you each need to do. I'm just going to pray. That God will open your eyes 
so that you will see the opportunity in front of you to wash someone's feet so that you truly can be like Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that he came not just to teach us what a right life looks like, but he came to live it out for us. He is our example. He is our model. We praise you that the king and creator of the universe was willing to gird himself with a towel and be a slave. We praise you that the king of the universe was willing to wash dirty, stinky, filthy feet. We thank you for his example. We pray that you would humble us if we ever think that we are too important or too busy to serve others like Jesus did. We pray that you would break us of that pride and help us to realize that it is actually the path of greatness that becomes the servant and the slave. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help each of us to see the opportunities you present before us to wash someone's feet. We pray that we would take the time to see and notice the classmate, the roommate, the the neighbor, the coworker who is struggling, who is in need. I pray that you would help us to put forth the effort to, to listen to them and to love them and to serve them and to help them. I pray, God, that you, would, that you would work in our lives so that we would truly be made more like Jesus. That that would not just be a song we sing on Sunday because it sounds nice. But that instead it would be a truth that you are working in our lives. We pray that you would make us more like him so that the world would see how great he is. We thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.